And will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth, O gracious and loving God, and the meditations of each of our hearts be offered humbly and faithfully. Amen. Imagine three kids, the innermost one holding on to a flagpole, and they're joined in hands, and they begin to run around the flagpole. That's how David Brooks' New Year's Day opinion began. He said the children, the three of them, form a chain all the way back to the flagpole. But the faster they run, well, you know what's going to happen. The faster they run, the centrifugal force, that is the force that will begin to pull them apart, will grow stronger. And no matter how tightly they grip, they won't be able to hold on to one another. Eventually, eventually the forces pulling them apart exceed the strength they need to hold together, and the chain breaks. <coughs> that, Brooks says, is essentially what is happening to our nation. It's also what's happening to our communities and our churches. I want you to consider for a moment on this 130th annual meeting of the First Congregational Church. I want you to consider how forces are pulling apart, that are pulling us apart, are growing ever stronger. In 1996, just 22 years ago, almost an identical number of Democrats and Republicans, about 16%, that is less than one in five, 16% had a very unfavorable view of the other party. That's a fairly small percentage. But 22 years ago, in 2016, 20 years later, before the election, that number had grown to 45%. A 275% increase in distrust in 20 years. And I can guarantee you, it's gotten worse in the last two. But here's, I thought, what was saddest and maybe the most dangerous finding. The Pew Research Center, which is one of the great research centers in the world, in 2016, two years ago, asked people who identified as Democrat or as Republican to describe persons of the other party. And they were stunned to discover that both sides, if you'll use the term, use the exact same words of distrust. They said, not everyone did, but the most common words were, this is going to be demoralizing, I'm going to prepare you, by both sides equally, is that the other side, whoever that might be, is closed-minded, dishonest, immoral, lazy, and unintelligent. Those words hold the potential to pull us apart, to destroy communities, a nation, and of course churches. And I don't know about you, but it feels as if we're being pulled apart in ways many of us have never experienced before. 
So I have to ask, on this 130th annual meeting of the First Congregational Church, how are we to be a church in that environment of growing distrust? I mean, how are we going to hold tightly enough so that the forces that will seek to divide us will not overwhelm the strength we will need to minister together in love in Christ's name? I don't know about you, but I found those words that both sides use to describe the other so sad and demoralizing. And I thought there must, there must be better words for us. So is there a good word out there? A word that might guide us as, let's be sort of small for the moment, as the first congregational church of Western Springs. At first I thought maybe the word is for. But I don't think it is for. Make no mistake, I understand that when we care about other folk who are having, say, a rough time, we want to do something for them, right? I mean, that's a good idea. I mean, that is part of our life together, to do something for each other. Are you sick with the flu? What can I do for you? Chicken noodle soup? Can I pick up the kids from play practice? What can I do for you? For, however, is not likely the word that will anchor us as a Christian church. It's not likely the word that will give us the strength to hold on in Christ's name. Because there's a shadow side to the word for. For instance, who among us wants someone to say, I'll speak for you? Not many. And yet I understand doing something for someone does matter because doing something for another sums up a whole life in which we, we try to make our relationships better. We try to make the world a little better. We, maybe we even try to be a little better ourselves by doing things for people. I mean, we want to do things, right, for the poor or the homeless or the grieving. But for is not the word. It's not the word I think God calls us to claim as a church. I'm not even sure it's a word that holds the strength to keep us together. But maybe you heard in those three very different verses from three very different places in Scripture, God shows us another world that might even be more central to our life together as Christians. Samuel Wells suggests that, oddly enough, the possibility of being held together is based on one tiny word, and it's an unassuming preposition, which some have claimed is the most important word in Scripture. With. With. God calls us to be with people in poverty or distress. And by doing so, we come to know them rather than simply to do things for them. To be with someone in grief or sadness and loss is faithful because seldom is there anything we can do for them. You know, on Christmas Eve, if you were here, you heard the word that defines the Christian faith. 
Behold, she shall conceive a virgin, and you shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I mean, it's a modest little word with, but it might very well be the word that lies at the heart of being church and the heart of the Christian faith. It might. It might be the word that holds us together. With. Think about it. With might be the most fundamental description of God's nature. It is perhaps the most common description of God's nature in all of Scripture. God desires to be with us. Almost nowhere does it say God desires to do things for us, but God desires to walk with us. You heard the very last words of Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Matthew. Behold, he said, I am with you always. And you heard the very last words of Scripture. The home of God is with humans. God will be with you. I mean, maybe. Maybe this unprepossessing preposition, which, by the way, is a very difficult phrase to say, is the word <laughs> that can hold a community. Maybe even hold a church, maybe even hold children who are spinning around a flagpole onto one another. Because I think it is a word that describes the heart of God and describes the heart of God's nature and it describes God's purpose. With, by our side. I think. I think that's what our destiny in the company of God might look like. But I have a caution for you. We have to beware. With is way harder than for. You know it, right? I mean, you could do something for someone without ever speaking to them, without any connection, without a genuine shaping of your life to accommodate and even to incorporate the other person into yours. But if you do something with another you are intentionally shaping your lives together. I mean, think about with looking, well, maybe looking something like this that was reported a year or so ago in most of the newspapers. Finally, it was maybe one of the few feel-good stories, but it was about a Southwest flight attendant. And the plane had been sitting on the tarmac for something like 90 minutes, and you've done that before and you know how annoying and tension-filled the air becomes. It's a horrible experience. And the flight attendant got on the microphone and said, I know. I know you're frustrated. I know some of you are angry and everyone wants to get to their destination. And all of you understand that on this airline we don't have any food on these flights. And reported that she hesitated for a moment and then said, so, will the passenger with a bag of peanuts be willing to share it with the person across the aisle? Anybody here with candy or gum, can you spare a little with the gentleman or the lady next to you? And the grandma, she continued, the grandma with the proud pictures of her grandchildren, would you be willing to share your pictures with your seatmate? 
And within minutes, you know as well as I do, the frustration level began to lower a bit. And it said in the report that the passengers began to speak with one another and not to or for each other. Maybe that's why it's glorious. Maybe almost incredible good news that God didn't settle on being a God for us, but settled on being a God with us. God accompanies us, delights in us, plays with us, suffers, and abides with us. In times of trouble and in times of doubt, even when everything's going swimmingly or when things are falling apart, God is with us. As one preacher has suggested, doing for others is something that donors to charities or lovers or even parents know. Doing things is super tempting. It's easier and often feels safer than being fully with. We often say, let me do that for you. As if, being were, as if my being were somehow separate from yours. Let me hand you, hungry person, a sandwich. But I'll do it from a safe distance. Let me solve the homework problem for you without getting entangled in anything else. And you know it as well as I do. It's way, way better to do things with your loved ones or your family or your friends than to say you're doing them for them. Being with, it's way riskier than doing for. Because if I wait, and if I listen, and show you what I'm really like, my life becomes entwined with yours, and then I might also be changed by you. Being with someone means I can't leave messages for them on their phones at a time I conveniently know they won't be there. I can't do good deeds for them and then simply go home. In fact, I can't do anything for them. I would have to abide with them. And just as challenging, allow you to abide with me. The most important word in the Bible, it may be the most important word in our life together, with. God's simply with us, accompanies you, delights in you, plays with you, suffers, and abides with you. God is with you both in trouble and in doubt. God is with you when things are going perfectly or when things are falling apart. God is with you always. And that, my friends, might just hold us together. Amen.